Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today is our Ole Miss baseball season preview. Colin Brister, resident Rippy Writes baseball correspondent, joins to chat about the roster, who we think will be the opening day lineup. Pretty simple, except for a couple of places. And then who will accompany Derek Diamond in the weekend rotation. Diamond's importance to the team, how long of a leash he has to actually stay in that rotation. And uh, a lot more on a team that should swing it really well. And if they can find pitching in an offensive heavy SEC, should be pretty good. So we're uh, getting back into the swing of things. This is uh, kind of where the Rippy Rights podcast all began, right? Started this podcast a little under 12 months ago. We're approaching the year anniversary of uh, this whole thing getting going. And then felt like it really took off during baseball season last year with Colin and I. So uh, good to be in that time of year again. Looking forward to uh, chatting with Colin on Sundays and uh, occasionally in the week as well as we get toward baseball season. So Baseball-centric show today with some very serious and in-depth basketball thoughts at the top. Before I wanted to, before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox has a year-to-date up, update for you regarding college basketball. Year-to-date. They are 307 and 275. They're plus 4.5 units in one-unit bets. They are plus 69 units in five-unit bets. Nice. And in total, they are up 73 units year to date. That's a lot of money cashing out. A thousand-unit better, you would have netted 73 grand at this point. A 500-unit better, you would have netted 36k. That's not chump change. If you're doing 100, you would have netted 7k. You need to use Skybox because they're the best in the business. If you're uh, getting into NASCAR, I don't know how many NASCAR fans are out, out there. Their NASCAR package is, uh, is, will be available this month, or the picks will start this month. If you buy the NASCAR package right now, you get the futures for free. And if you use the promo code NASCAR, that is N-A-S-C-A-R, if you need me to spell that, you probably got larger issues on your hand, you get 30% off. And then any other purchase on the site, you get 20% off using the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. Please use that code. Let them know we sent you. But if you're into sports wagering, you need to use the folk, fine folks at Skybox. I just read you the results. These dudes don't screw around. They're the real, real deal. They crush the Super Bowl every year. You need to check in and get in all those futures. Hopefully you got the free plays from the Monday podcast um, regarding Cam Akers under 65 and a half rushing yards and the first kickoff to not be a touchback. Those are just two they're giving away. Go find the rest. Go make some money on the Super Bowl. Use skyboxsportspicks.com because they are the best in the industry. Plain and simple. You know who else is the best in the industry? LB's, University Avenue in Oxford. Best butcher shop slash horse racing output in the world. Soon to have a second location in the Glugstead area coming this spring. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com, you get a newsletter for me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just go in and show Greg proof of subscription, and he will get you set up. And then go find your own favorites. Lane Train Special, Bacon Wrap Filet, all kinds of different stuff. Crab stuffed mushrooms, all kinds of delicious sausages. The filet burgers are always delicious. All kinds of different cuts. It's getting to that time of year where you people are out grilling again and send me photos of what you've thrown on the grill from LBs. Always love when that rolls around again. Please keep sending those. 
Check them out, LB's University Avenue, the best place in Mississippi to get meat. All right, before we get to the uh, – before we get to our uh, baseball preview with Kyle and Brister, I don't know why I keep doing this. I was going to publish the podcast last night. Ole Miss tipped off in basketball uh, against Alabama at 7.30. I was like, you know what? I'm going to hold off, write down some notes, do an open on the Alabama, I Ole Miss-Alabama basketball game. It's like the third time in the last three weeks I've done this, and I can't, can't, don't know why I keep doing it because this team just kind of is what it is. But uh, here are my in-depth Ole Miss-Alabama basketball notes. Allowing Jaden Shackelford to go for 33, suboptimal. Ole Miss really let two guys beat them last night. It was Shackelford and then the Davidson kid off the bench. Alabama goes 14 to 22 from the three-point line, and Ole Miss looked like they zoned them for most of the game. I'll be honest, I tuned out for large portions of the second half. I say tuned out. It was on. It was uh, getting the second television treatment. But it looked like Ole Miss kind of was content playing a decent bit of zone. Maybe I have that wrong. But I don't know. I think in Alabama was, again, 14 to 22. They shot 63, almost 64% from the three-point line. I would venture to tell you that that is due to a lack of depth and uh, Kermit being concerned that, one, they can't match up with Alabama's backcourt man-to-man and then also being concerned about both fatigue and a lack of depth, but I could be wrong there. Ole Miss, Luis Rodriguez plays 33 minutes and doesn't score. Look, he had nine assists and six rebounds. He offered value elsewhere, a couple of steals. but. This team is offensively challenged as they are. You got a guy playing 32, 33 minutes and does not score a basket. That is uh, what they would say is suboptimal. Ty Fagan, 23 minutes, makes one field goal. Jarko Joyner was really good last night. I think if you're looking for some sort of silver lining and something to point towards next year, he was really, really good. And he, just scored, he scored in a variety of ways. He was uh, – I don't know if that's just the way the Alabama was playing Ole Miss defensively. And they didn't think Joyner was good enough to beat them on their own. But the guy shot th- 10 three-point shots last night and appeared pretty content with um, just kind of firing up from three-point range. Had a couple of drives to the basket, but he only shot four free throws in the entire game. You know, this is kind of the what-if, right? If you still had Deshaun Ruffin and you could play him at point guard and Joyner off the ball and turn him more into a shooter, because I think part of where Jarkel Joyner struggled uh, in the first year and a half or so of his own missed career is they were looking to be – looking for him to be kind of a three-level scorer and a creator, and he just simply hasn't been consistently quick enough to get by SEC defenders off the dribble. But his spot up and kind of dribble into shooting has been really, really good. Bracken will have some numbers for you on Sunday, but he's been really efficient as a spot-up shooter. And, you know, if he wasn't having to be the most ball-dominant guard on the floor because of a lack of other guards, and by that I mean a lack of a true point guard, you know, 33 would have gone a lot further for Ole Miss last night, I guess would be the best way to put it, because it's hard to critique the guy after he scores 33 points. But, you know, that's kind of the what if with this team. I would have liked to have seen Joyner and Ruffin on the floor together at the same time. Jamie and Brakefield, 21 minutes, eight points, really not much of a factor in this game. And then Austin Crowley only plays eight minutes. Ole Miss is depleted as they are at guard, and it was already kind of a flawed roster. And a guy that you were counting on at the beginning of the year to be a major factor either as a starter or fresh off the bench is playing eight minutes a game now. That's not great. That would, would probably lead you to believe there's a bunch of missed evaluations on this team that we talked about. So, anyway, Ole Miss was actually pretty good offensively last night. They scored 38 points and a half and were down 11. Anytime this version, really any team, you score 38 points and a half and down 11, that's pretty uh, porous effort defensively. But particularly for this team, they really did not stand much of a chance. So. Uh, Jaden Shackelford, quite good. Ole Miss, not much answer for him. 
that was talking basketball. Let's get to Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on highly paid Rippy Rights baseball correspondent Colin Brister. This is our season preview extravaganza. I don't really know what makes it extravaganza, but I texted you earlier this week. It was like, week out, let's do the preview. What's up, man? Not much, not much. Just got back in from baseball practice. So uh, it, 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 it's so weird. I love the weather this time of year because I swear to God, it's freezing in, in uh, February, January when it, like, practice first starts. And then February, you'll get like a few 60-degree days. And about the end of February, it'll be 18 degrees again. I, we're first of many times, we're going to get accused of reading, uh, reading each other's minds on this podcast <laughs> because right about 10 minutes before we started recording, we, uh, I was at the gas station here. In, uh, I'm in Fort Worth tonight. But I was like, this feels nice outside. And the yeah. days are starting to get longer. I can't wait for it to be 42 and rainy in March. <laughs> and then there'll be that like random week in april where it's like 38 what the hell yeah it's uh but i do love this time of year the days are starting to get a little bit longer yeah. we're gonna have some bad weather mixed in i mean last week at this time you know dallas kind of had its uh, annual snowmageddon but like you can sense it's lighter outside a little longer and that's kind of prime college baseball season college hoops is kind of not really at its peak, but pretty close to it. Like the February games are always awesome. It's just a great time of year, and it means warmer weather is on the way. Eight days from now, Ole Miss will be playing a baseball game. Eight days from yeah. when people are listening to this, there uh, will be baseball at Swayze Field. Ole Miss will open its season. I just blanked. Who? I don't even know who the hell they're playing. Charleston oh, yeah. College of Charleston, is that Here right? Here we go. College of Charleston. I like had that down all day. Uh, it's even uh, it's from Charleston, College of Charleston. What's the stuff, former right? volunteer assistant coach? Crap. Oh, uh, uh, that's Mac's team. That, that's why. Mac, yeah, uh, Martin yeah, Miller. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great call. That's why this was scheduled for sure. Oh, that'll be good. Get him coming back to Oxford. He always seemed yeah. like a nice man. I didn't really know him very well. What? Crap, I forgot. What is his name? Mark McMillan. He was that's the it. first base coach <laughs> for the high socks, uh, ran all the camps. I remember we did yeah. some stuff on him in student media, like, to help him out with like, <clears throat> word about the camps. That, uh, that unpaid assistant life is not for the faint of heart. That is for sure. <laughs> Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, Mike announced his opening day starter. I don't think he announced anything more than that. I um, think we could probably surmise some pretty good guesses, and I, I guess that'll be uh, what we do over the next hour or so. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think you're right, unless I missed something, and it's been about six days since I watched the press conference clips or whatever, but I don't believe he announced anything else. Derek Diamond being announced the starter – was really no shocker at all. And we'll get into what we, who we think will start where here in a second. But let's just start with Derek Diamond because you know, we talked about this a little bit when we, uh, when we did a pod a couple weeks ago, kind of doing like a 10,000-foot view of this team. I think they can kind of get away with having a Derek Diamond-esque guy as their Friday night guy. I wouldn't necessarily call him by the you know, make of the mold given what he's done so far, a quote-unquote Friday night guy. But we went around it on the last podcast – the league is does not have six, seven established names as Friday night guys. Now, there's talent in this league every year. Some guys sure. by April will know their names. But there's not the Tanner Houck, the Jared Poche, veteran Friday night guys that you already know who they are going into the season this year. There's hardly any at all other than, I guess, A&M. Um, I'm not not A&M. About. So, the, really, the – the best Friday night guy in this league has not been a starter yet. It's going to be Landon Sims at State, I presume. Yes, I would pretty much assume that that would be the case. And then the kid at Arkansas we talked about last week, Peyton Pelletier, wondering if he was uh, 
hurt, there had been some kind of murmurs around that. And then it was literally announced right after we dropped the pod. That would have been, what, a top three in terms of established Friday night guys. Yeah, absolutely. He had been their Saturday guy last year and was really good. Um, You know, Arkansas doesn't have a guy. LSU doesn't have a guy. A&M doesn't really have a guy. Auburn doesn't really have a guy. Bama doesn't have a guy. Um, State's going to have Sims, I presume. Again, I haven't followed State close enough, but it just makes sense in my head when Sims goes to Friday night. Um, South Carolina lost their Friday guy. I'm going, go, I'm going through the, kind of the East that, that Ole Miss plays. South Carolina lost their Friday guy. Uh, Tennessee will will put Blade Tidwell on Friday night. He'll be a stud. Um, Kentucky has their Friday guy back, and I'm blanking on Ole Miss's other East opponent. Missouri, I don't care if they have their Friday guy. So, yeah, like there is a lot of pitching that has to be replaced. Um, and, and, and here's the thing about Derek Diamond, right? Um, let's just get into it. If Derek Diamond – reaches Derek Diamond's potential Derek Diamond is a very good Friday night guy if he doesn't Ole Miss is not doomed because they don't have to be dominant on Friday night this year is that fair yeah I I think that's more than fair and you know even in years where there's a doubt like even in years where you do have the you know six seven established guys across the league where you go to pretty much every school in the west you're like shit I gotta face this guy on Friday yeah there's teams that have been perfectly competitive and made runs in the NCAA tournament without a dominant Friday guy. There's multiple ways to do this, but it happens for Ole Miss that, you know, it's conducive to this year for sure. But I would just like to point out, like, teams have won without a stud Friday guy. Yes. Now, the way you have to do that is you've got to have a good Friday guy, a good Saturday guy, and a good Sunday guy. Like, if you have a across the board good but not great, you're still going to be really good. Right. So, I mean, with Derek, here's the thing, like, when Derek Diamond came into Ole Miss, it's like, yeah, this this guy at some point is going to be your Friday guy. And I think um, two years after that, it's fair to question, all right, is he ready to do this? Now, here's the thing. This reminds me a lot of Chris Ellis. Now, I, and I don't want – I'm not putting the pressure on Derek Diamond. To, he has to go be Chris Ellis. Uh, but it does remind me sort of him. Chris battled some injuries his first two years, wasn't as good as probably he wished he was, and then he really, really found it in that third year. And for Ole Miss, that's kind of the hope that he's Chris Ellis. Um, now, is he? I don't know, but we'll see. If he is, Ole Miss is going to be really good. If he's not, and he's not the Friday guy that you envisioned, the good news for Ole Miss, um, you got a bunch of studs back on offense. So you can carry what can be considered a average to below average Friday guy and maybe, maybe – the depth of your bullpen and the depth of your starting rotation allows you to win a lot of games on Saturday and Sunday. So the good news for Ole Miss is that, no, you don't have a proven Friday guy, but your offense and probably a lot more pitching depth makes that at least okay. The stuff is there, as you just sure. outlined, right? I mean, he's he's he went basically a week or two, or at least two weeks without kind of having much of a role and still finished third on the team in strikeouts. He had 82 strikeouts in like 72 in 75 innings last year like his yeah. best stuff is is as good as anyone's we've talked about this before don't you think it's a combination of one some mental stuff that he's got to get over and battle some mental hurdles and yep. I'm not talking about like anything like serious like mental health I'm talking about just kind of the mental side of pitching versus um the second part of that being the guy that threw out here in Arlington in February from a velocity standpoint was kind of unrecognizable by the time we got to April and that's concerning is is well, that's what I'm gonna. I was gonna ask you, why do you think there was such a velocity drop? Do, do you have a theory as to why, or is that something to be concerned about this year? Because I mean, I think it's a fair question. Hey, 
in his first full year, he was throwing 95 in February and 88 in June. Like, like what happened? Um, and I don't have necessarily a thought on that. I'm just curious, do, do, do you have an opinion on what kind of happened over those four months? I have literally no theory. I'm with you. Like, I, I really don't know. And I guess to kind of pose some sort of theory, if you'll remember, uh, Chase reported somewhere, sometime right after the season, that he was dealing with some arm issues. I believe it was an elbow right. thing. And as I outlined last at the last podcast we did, it just kind of went away in terms of it being a story. Like, I don't know exactly what did happened. Did he have surgery? Like, I don't think – no, I, I'm pretty confident. I could be wrong about this. I don't know for certain. So, like, don't, you know, set this in stone on me. Sure. But I thought what was on the table in terms of surgery was Tommy John. Did he have some other procedure? I don't know. Did I have no idea. Another way? It just kind of went away. And sure. if that's being reported in, say, June, because if I remember correctly, it was right after the season – it's conceivable that that could have been flaring up or be, be oh yeah become an issue as early as April, is it not? I don't know that's the case, but that's my best guess because yeah, you don't see a kid like there's plenty of freshmen that have gone through the SEC that you know maybe they get a little bit of a tired arm toward the end of the year if they're a heavy contributor, but you don't see a velocity dip like that for first year and again Diamond not necessarily a first year guy, but his first full season you don't see a dramatic dip like that in such a two, uh, short span. No, no, no. Um, so, yeah, it's, it probably had something to do with what Chase reported. Um, if you're Ole Miss, obviously you do hope it went away because um, you're going to need Derek Diamond. Here's the thing. Derek Diamond, I think he's got a chance to be Ole Miss's Friday guy. I think he's got stuff. I, got the, I think he's got the makeup. Um, like you said, there's going to be some stuff that's improved. I think he's got the stuff. Here's what I do know. Ole Miss cannot be the team that it wants to be. Ole Miss cannot, I don't think, compete for a trip to the College World Series if Derek Diamond does not have a role on this team. So if that's Friday, if that's Sunday, if that's the closer, I don't know. But I know Derek Diamond probably has to be involved for this team to reach his ceiling. Agreed. And it's, it's in all likelihood, it needs to be somewhere in the rotation because I'm not saying yes. he couldn't be a valuable bullpen arm. He was fine. But it's certainly like, I don't know, I guess like, I, don't, I couldn't see him sliding in and becoming like a Max Trophy or something like that. It seems like his value for what Ole Miss needs him to be, like he needs to be good enough to where they can rely on him throughout the year as a starter. Does he have to be, as we keep outlining, an ace, like a, a, you know, an anchor of the pitching staff? Not necessarily, but like he's got to also be better than he was on those handful of Sundays in a row before they finally pulled the plug on the experiment, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. He can't be that guy. I mean, no. Um, he can't be the guy that they pitched against Arkansas or the guy that um, blows up against uh, – I can't remember exactly who it was. But, yeah, he, he's got to be the guy that comes in and competes. He's got to be the guy that pitches against LSU That when, when Gunner um, first got hurt and he had to miss a week. He's got to be that cat that, hey, man, he went and gave you six and three. Go win the game. Um, so, yeah, if, if he can be that guy, then, man, Ole Miss has got a chance to be really, really good. And if you remember, after Gunner got hurt and he comes back, the, the LSU one you're talking about was incredible stuff. Do you remember that was when he found out? About an hour and a half. Yeah, I was about to say, it was a ridiculously short amount of time before and was terrific. And there was some bad in there in between. Um, you know, it wasn't a great outing at A&M when he kind of had to come on relief. wasn't terrible. Vanderbilt, not great. But, you know, there's a Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament, I believe that was. Pretty he, good. Yeah, he was really good in that game. I guess you could say he was fine against SEMO, but, you know, not as much of a comparison. So there was some good in there even after he came back. 
oh, assuming his arm is healthy, I think it's the, the mental and the mentality part of it. Is it so, not? Because that's another thing you have to have, whether you're great or not. To be a Friday night guy in the SEC, you've got to kind of be a little bit of an asshole. So I, I assume you're looking at his game logs, um, the way you kind of read those off. Here, here's the game that if I am a person that thinks Derek Diamond can be uh, an ace, is one I look to. And you're going to laugh at me. It's the game against Georgia. Because I don't know if you're looking at what he did. I think it was like five innings, four runs. And you're like, hey, he wasn't that good. I know exactly he, what you're talking about, though. He had nothing that day. He, was still he had nothing, and he blew up early, and he figured it out, and he got Ole Miss to the sixth inning. Uh, or somewhere around there. No, he got to That's the sixth. The, he went five and a third, gave up four runs yep. on four or six hits, and he had walk issues in that first inning that I believe Georgia scored at least three and was fine after that. That's a great point. Yep. That's the game where it's like, well, maybe you figure something out. And then when you start combining it with the velocity drops and, and, and everything and, and the fact that he was really good on short rest the next week against the team that finished number two in the, war, in the, in the country. Um, I think there's some hope there. I do. Now, is he healthy? Well, we'll see. Um, does, he have, does he have the mental toughness that he, that he kind of showed at the end of the year? We'll see. I do think there were some signs last year that he was beginning to become that guy we'll see it's going to here's the thing and you can correct me if you if you think I'm wrong I don't I think Derek Diamond is going to start on Friday I mean we're, we're obviously he's going to start next Friday I think he will start the next Friday against I guess UCF I don't think he's guaranteed more than that I don't think he's got much of a leash as the Friday night guy but I do think he's got the opportunity to show, hey, if what we saw at the end of the year was some mental toughness things is real, then he's going to be the, have every opportunity to be that guy. If it's not, we're going to find out early and we're going to, we're going to make the switch. I don't think there's much leash there as the Friday guys, I guess is my point. I think you're right. And you're, you're basically saying he gets the bulk of the non-conference, but if he's not good, they're going to use that last week in a non-conference play against Oral Roberts yeah. or whoever the hell it is to figure out what they're going to do there. I think you're dead on with that. One last diamond point while I have his game logs up. After he got benched is not the right term, but yanked out Demoted. of the rotation. I can't talk today. Um, <laughs> after he gets knocked out of the rotation, he has that state outing that was eh, and then a couple yeah. – but. I will say to kind of credit some of the mental toughness side of it, once that velocity dip happened, he got people out in different ways than he was accustomed to. That LSU game, he went six innings and only had four strikeouts. Then he comes back, and his when he gets reinserted in the rotation, A&M notwithstanding because he comes on in relief of Gunner that night after yeah. Gunner threw like 12 pitches, his strikeout numbers tick up a bit. He has seven against Vanderbilt in the home series win Ole Miss had. Four against Georgia, we just outlined he had nothing. Eight against Vandy in the SEC tournament. But also, that was a lot of death by fly ball as well. I thought the way he kind of evolved when he wasn't throwing 95 was somewhat impressive and wasn't talked about very much. Yeah, no, I think that and that plays into to some mental toughness things. Hey, you don't have this. You got to continue to fight. Um, we'll see. I, I, think, I think, like we're saying, there were some signs at the end of last year that, hey, he's not the cat that let it explode. He's not the same dude that let it explode on him against Arkansas on that Sunday. He's not the same guy that couldn't finish an inning the week before against Florida. Um, you know, the, the, there were some signs that he was coming along and was going to be that guy. He's going to get two, at least two opportunities, I think, to prove it. Um, and if he takes them, I don't, nobody's – here's what I'll say. And, you again, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. 
I think Derek Diamond's best is better than anybody else on Ole Miss's team. Is that fair? Like, if he's at his best, I think he's Ole Miss's best pitcher. Is that, is that, is that fair to you? Yes, without knowing exactly who these two transfers are, yes. Sure, yeah. Now, I, if you want to tell me, hey, I think Washburn's got better stuff, okay, I'll, I'll hear that one. Um, but I, I think if that's the case, then he's going to get his opportunities on Fridays, and for Ole Miss's sake, you hope he takes advantage of them. And for people out there that are sitting there thinking, what are you talking about? Like, you know, Brand, like, you know, because Brandon Johnson had some moments where he just heaved sure. balls five people, but from a ceiling in terms of arm talent, it's not comparable. The only I will I will grab here's one I'll say. I think Jack Gordy's really good. I, I think he's really really good. You think he's good enough to get used in the season's first two months this year? Yeah. That, <laughs> Brandon Johnson too. Do you remember like? Jack Doherty throws on that Tuesday after they lose the LSU series, and we're like, who the hell is this guy? And he's, like, throwing 94-mile-hour bullets. And One then on... was watching, and the other was halfway watching and was like, who the hell is this guy? And both – like, the other one turned it on immediately, and then it was like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. And, and some – like, people were texting me. It was like, oh, it's Austin P. I'm like, he's throwing 96. I don't care if it's – I don't care if it's the high school I coach at. 96 is 96. Um, and it but, went from like an almost a basketball walk on into the game story to like five batters later. It's like, wait a minute, this this gun still says ninety six. Like we might have something here. <laughs> and then that Sunday was the mallets thing at Starkville, and people were like, well, who'd you put in? I'm like, well, Doherty. I, that that would be that would be a much better option. <laughs> He's thrown to it. I don't care. Sounds good. I remember wondering during the mallets thing. I was like, did that kid they threw in the midweek? Did he travel? Like, did, was he on the roster? Because that was real stuff, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he, they threw him against Austin P. And like he's at like pitch thirty eight. I'm like, get him off the mound. We need him Friday night. Um, yeah, I think he throws in the first two months of the year this year. I'll, I will go out on a limb. You want you want you want to know where I, I project him? But I think he throws in the first weekend. I think I would say pretty safe, but hopefully we won't get old takes exposed on that. Speaking of the two transfers. Let's just yeah. do it right Three now. Tracks, on really. Let's uh, – who do you think the other two rotation guys are? Uh, I'll, I'll go the safe route. I'll go Gaddis and Washburn. I won't be shocked if it's another transfer, though, in Delusia. Um, I think – here's what I think. I think those three arms fill the other three starting spots, whether that's – I mean, one in the midweek, two on the weekends. I think those are your four starters. Which is interesting. I'm glad you kind of went there because I actually think that will be the case, too. I think it will be Gaddis and Washburn as well. But as we know, actually, first off, you know more about both of those guys than I do. There's a little bit more that you could gather from watching, um, watching Washburn pitch at, uh, at Oregon State because, uh, shocker, I had a harder time finding Texas A&M Corpus Christi clips. But what is your kind of feel on what both of those guys um, are? Some Gaddis feels like he has a little Christian Trent vibes. Yeah, so – I think that's fair. Some Trent, um, and now some of that smaller school left-handed guy, um, but some of it's some of it's accurate. I think Gaddis is a guy. It's eighty-seven to eighty-nine. He's going to be able to spin a breaking ball. Got some real pitch ability. He's an older guy. Knows how to pitch this league, or not in this league, but knows how to pitch. Um, he's a senior. He's got some got some real high-level D one experience against teams. I think he'll be really good. Um, Washburn's a guy that. If he's not the Friday night guy at some point this year, I think he is next year. 
Um, he's, he'll, he'll have to go to school for three years. Next year will be his third year. Um, I think he's got electric stuff. And I think he's got a harness that he was really good at times for Oregon State last year. Um, and I think he's going to be at some point going to be really good for Ole Miss. Um, you know, obviously with him pitching at a high level last year and pitching in a regional and all that, not not as much for transition. Um, I think he'll be really good by the time he leaves Ole Miss. On DeLucha, I don't know. I ha- I don't really know what to expect on him. Okay, I guess we'll find out when everybody else. But, uh, um, you know, right-handers got a – I think he's got a pretty high velo fastball, if I'm not mistaken. Um, throw strikes. So, we'll, we'll see on him. Um, but that's that's kind of what I expect from those three. And as far as other newcomers, I think Hunter Elliott's going to have a role. Um, left-handed kid from, from Tupelo that has seen an uptick in velocity, I've, I've been told. Um, and then maybe I think Braden Jones from, I think, MRA will have a role. I'm interested in – I'll tell you what who I'm interested in is, is a guy like Mitch Morrell who last year had a pretty high spin rate fastball um, and has, has been pretty good in some inner squads, I think. So I'm interested in a guy like him. They're, they've got some options. And, you know, that's what's interesting is, like, last year they didn't have a ton of options out of the pen. They had two frontline guys. They had a closure that was a freak. Um, and then they had, like, two setup guys. I think they're going to be way, way deeper on the mound this year, just maybe by osmosis and proxy. I just think it's deeper by committee because if you, when you get to the uh, – when you get down to what happened last year, the situation – what Taylor Broadway did over the last two months of the season, month and a half, was remarkable. But that was not the best position for him to be in, and it no. really wasn't the best position for Ole Miss to be in to have to rely on him that way. I think you're right. I think they are going to be deeper despite not having that kind of high-end closer, which I actually think they can find between Johnson or Doherty. Um and it not be too much of a drop. Like, I think they'll still have a pretty strong back-end guy. Yeah. I agree with you. I think they still have – they're going to have more options, and it won't be just from the right side either. Remember, if it wasn't Jackson Kimbrell, they were just toast out of lefties. Yeah, and Hunter, Hunter Elliott's going to serve that role. Um, here's the only thing I'll push back a little bit, and I don't think you meant it this way. I don't think <coughs> Doherty or Johnson can do what Broadway did multiple times a weekend. Like, I, oh, I don't no, think no. – yeah, I don't think they can do what he did in the regional and go save two games in a day and that type thing. I don't think they're ready for that. But, like, once a weekend, yeah, I think they can be really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. I just meant that I think they can get it from the sense of when the guy – I mean, when Broadway came into a game in a ninth inning, like, you were just – like, if you're watching, you're like, okay, they made it there. They won this game. The part was getting there. I think That was my favorite last, part. Just not maybe but, the stamina like you mentioned. Yeah, that, that was my favorite part on that Monday of the Southern Miss game. Um, like everybody's hitting homers and it's like, oh, I don't know if homeless is gonna hold on. I'm like, give it one more out. If if Broadway takes that mound, this bitch is over. <laughs> and and he did and he got six outs. It was it was yeah, it it really was. That was remarkable watching that over the last, you know, half uh, I guess that was what? About yeah, remarkable is not the word I used. Really bad. Yeah, re- remarkable was not the word I used. Uh, yeah. painstaking, agonizing. <laughs> it was uh, quite something. Like, I remember sitting there and like, no offense, but Austin Miller's getting loose. And I'm like, I, no, <laughs> I don't care how many outs we need. Like it just, it just go to Broadway and we'll figure it out. And then I remember seeing Doug Nikhazy trot to the pen. I'm like, oh, this is happening, huh? Well, in between, like, it was interesting, the, the Mississippi State and the Texas A&M lesson, 
Mike had to learn via his bullpen, via the Josh Mallett's experience, wherever you want direction you want to go with it. Starkville, I would deem the Mallett's experience, not necessarily the A&M thing. Those were egregious mistakes, and I'm not offering a defense here, but it also got to the point where Mike couldn't trust anyone. So, like, in the no. end, it matter? You just got to go straight to Broadway, which, again, not uh, – not exactly ideal, but man, he was a uh, he was an Iron Man. One of the pluses of the pod last year was Taylor Broadway. Yes. listen to it, and uh, they uh, it was funny. I met them at a game back in May, and it was funny to uh, it was funny to see that when he went in and pitched, they had to go stand in different spots, and they spent a lot of time standing in different spots because of the two <laughs> in front of them. What what sucks about the way last year ended is what the way it ended for him. Because, like, that kid would have done anything to get, get Ole Miss to the College World Series. And, like, he was like – they asked him if he wanted to start. And he was like, yeah. Kid probably hadn't started in three years. And just kind of sucked the way that ended in Arizona for him. It was an impossible ask. Do you remember the night before? Doug Nikhazy, that was one of his most impressive performances. But, I mean, how human did they make him look? Do you remember how many pitches those dudes fouled off against Doug? Like, that no. breaking ball that he threw that everyone swung under or over for – you know, two and a half months, all of a sudden got fouled off six times in it back. How many two strikes? You know the exact moment that I knew? This is going to sound like I'm being Nostradamus, but do you know the exact moment I knew Ole Miss was not winning that Super Regional? When? In about the fourth inning of Doug's game, after they had fouled off about 12 pitches in a row, and he looks at the dugout, Ole Miss's dugout with his palms up. I'm like, okay, we're screwed. (laughs) We're screwed. I I don't know how anybody's going to get it out tomorrow. And that's, that's the other part about it, and a conversation for another day. But, like, the last two times they've been at a Super, they just lost to a better team. That that Arizona lineup, despite that kind of Mickey Mouse horse shit ballpark, was was yeah. really incredible stuff. And uh, so kind of reining it back in real quick with these two newcomers. So I do think – I agree with you. I wouldn't be shocked if the uh, Delucia kid ended up starting. It wouldn't completely stun me. But I think Mike will end up going Gaddis and Washburn – Gaddis, as you mentioned and outlined, is a – he's not going to blow you away with the fastball, but he is going to be kind of the adult – I don't know how old he is – older pitcher who's pitched against, you know, superior competition given than what he was working with at Texas A&M and Corpus Christi. And if that guy's good, it's because he kind of – I hate using the word crafty, but knows how to get guys out and knows how to pitch. Doug Nikhazy had great stuff, so it's not the greatest example. But Doug, from the time he stepped on campus, knew how to pitch and knew how to get dudes out. I think that was one of the more underrated parts of his. Whereas Washburn's a little bit different because that's a legitimate three-pitch guy with the mid-'90s fastball. Like, would it stun you if Washburn is the Saturday guy and – Gaddis ends up becoming kind of a pretty reliable five and a third Sunday guy. Or do you that think would, that would I, I will say this. I think for Ole Miss to be its best that Derek Diamond goes on Friday, Jack Washburn goes on Saturday, and John Gaddis goes on Sunday. I think that's Ole Miss's best option. Now, those guys got to produce, all three of them, um, for that to be the case. But, yeah, I, I do think that is what makes Ole Miss's ceiling um, go higher. There's rarely a year where the three guys that pitch opening week – I say rarely. A yeah, I was going to say, it, it's, it's more common at Ole Miss than not. Yeah. I, so, there, but there are years where clearly sure. the guy that the opening weekend rotation is not what that is when they enter SEC play or hell three weekends into it. If you already named one, is there someone else you think that will be in this or could be in this rotation yes. is a better way to put it? That it will, if that's what, if our predictions are correct, is not in an opening weekend. 
And beyond Delucia, is there one more? Yes, he was in the rotation last year. Um, I think Drew McDaniel has a chance to be really good. I we'll, we got to see. I mean, it's, it's Derek Diamond with him too. Like we got to see it. Um, but they they've not given up on that kid. No worse should they? He's got talent out of the wazoo. Um, I think he's a guy that will get a look into the rotation as he should. And um, if he produces, I think he'll find his way there. He certainly has the talent. Um, we saw at times last year him, him pitch really well. He pitched really well on the road at State. Um, pitched really well against Georgia in the SEC tournament. And there were some times where he wasn't very good. Um, on a Sunday, uh, the clinch regional against Southern Miss, he wasn't very good. Um, you know, and against Vanderbilt, he wasn't great. Well, he's, he was actually okay against Vanderbilt. He wasn't good against Georgia, excuse me. Um, so, you know, um, I think he's got all the talent in the world. If, if you told me, hey, um, someone not named Delusia um, Washburn or Gaddis is in the rotation in SEC play and sticks, I think my next guess would certainly be uh, Drew McDaniel. That's where I, exactly where I was going, too. And you talk about swing and miss stuff. Don't you think it's the – do you think some of that – that was his first real season of college baseball. Yeah. Like the redshirt sophomore in the book. Some of that, don't you think, was kind of getting a little bit of a scout on him? Because from what I remember from last year was, one, he struck out 72 guys in 63 innings. So, like, he has the swing and miss stuff. But he was very much fastball, curveball. And he's a guy that can throw four pitches. But those other two, like, don't you think part of his development is a matter of one of those other two becoming a legitimate third pitch? Because some of that had to yeah. be predictability. He didn't really have huge walk issues from what sure, I remember. Sure, um, That I, I think maybe – um, and you said this in a way, I think, I think the innings began to tax on him as the season went. It was the most he had thrown. And I – please don't quote me on this or yell HIPAA. I think he maybe had an arm issue at the end of his senior year of high school um, and, and was just kind of getting back into shape. And then, you know, the, the deal in 2020 happened with COVID. Um, and I think maybe he just got worn down at the end. Um, so – you know, I think he's. I think Drew McDaniel is going to pitch significant innings for the Rebels this year. I don't know what role that will be, but I do expect him to throw meaningful and impactful innings for them at some point. He was the kid that was. He was the guy. He went like six shutout innings or six and two thirds in the SEC tournament against Georgia. Yeah, I guess Georgia. Yeah, I was there. It was hot, but yes, that was his last. That was his last major out. I, that was his last start. Well, no, he he started in the uh, NCAA oh. region. <laughs> You're right. He started. That wasn't uh, that wasn't great. Would you like me to read that line now that I have it up? No, I was. I don't actually. I was there because if you remember, the Rebels went up four to nothing in the first, and Southern Miss is throwing like backup CUSA pitchers that haven't thrown in the conference game, and I'm like getting ready to party. Next thing I know, Ole Miss is down seven to four, and I'm like, whoa, buddy. That was a uh, – and that's at the point where you're sitting there thinking, like, if, I mean, I wasn't working full-time like then at that point covering the team. But I didn't think that was the last run scored that day by Ole Miss. But that was when you start wondering, what do I write about this big picture? Because uh, my man that day got two outs. I'd forgotten so, about that start. I, I, I swear to God, I'll never forget that Sunday night, like coming home and I'm like, Ole Miss is going to win on Monday. But it is going to be one miserable amount, like one awful 24 hours waiting for them to do so. Because, like, Southern had nothing left. And Ole Miss just was going to win because they were better. But I'm like, you cannot convince this fan base of that. 
which was a big moment. I, I, it's just like, not a shame, but it was, it probably got undersold a little bit. I think if this team had made it to Omaha last year, you point back to that game because do you remember what they did in the first two innings on Monday? They blitzkrieged them. I was about to say, they came out and they threw a haymaker to the temple. There was no uptight. There was no the kind so, of Mike Bianco narrative <laughs> that I think was put to bed after 2019. So but like that, there was none of that. I want to ask, all right, let's do this. What is Mike Bianco's biggest issue as, a, as the Ole Miss baseball coach? What is his, his bugaboo, at, per se? I mean, are we talking outdated bugaboo? Or are you, like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about what does he get the most grief for from the fan base? Uh, playing, his team's playing tight when it matters. Well, that he doesn't get to the College World Series, right? Yes, yeah, fair enough. The, the criticism can no longer be, at least to me, that he doesn't win regionals. So, like, when they host another regional this year, I don't really want to hear, well, they always lose re- – no, they don't. They lost in the 16 and 18. They've won their last two. They've won seven out of ten. Like, they don't win super regionals. They win regionals. And, and I think they'll host another regional and they'll probably win it again this year. So, I don't really think – and here's the thing, too. They win regionals and they don't really play super regionals at home anymore. So I don't necessarily really think at all that, that there's this uptight narrative about this team in, this, in, the, in the stadium anymore. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, I just – I'm not really going to buy that when it comes time next year. I think that died after that whole, like, I don't know what it was a meeting or whatever when they walked off the field at the end of the regular season in Knoxville in 19, and something happened between that and them going to Hoover. Like, I can't remember what the exact story Mike, was. Essentially, to, if I'm not mistaken, the they – they lost on Friday night, and, like, they'd lost five in a row and lost to Arkansas State. And, Mike, I mean, it was pretty obvious at that point to anyone that knew anything that Ross Bjork was planning on replacing him. Um, and Mike just told him Friday night, he was like, hey, whatever happens, I love you. Just go play, and we'll see what happens. And from whatever point forward, this team has – you can criticize a lot of things. Um, playing uptight since that moment in Knoxville could not be one of them. Agreed. I think that was squashed uh, that year for sure. Speaking of dudes out on the field not playing uptight or playing uptight, let's just do it. Who do you think is the starting eight on opening day? Well, that's kind of easy to me. Uh, Well, I say that. I think there's one spot that could be tricky but ends up being who we think it is. Well, I don't know. I think catcher is Hayden Dunhurst. Duh. Tim Oko's at first. Peyton Chetney's at second. Jacob uh, Gonzalez is at short. Think those are obvious, right? Like, think think I'm 100% so far. Yes, I would hope so. so. Left field, Kevin Graham, still 100%. Yes. Justin Bench. Hold on. TJ McCants will be in an outfield spot. Still 100%, I think. I, I, I'm still 100% there. Justin Justin Bench will be at third base. And Kemp Alderman will be in right field. Um, you did, you did almost the exact same thing went, I was going. Go ahead, finish. But that's exactly where I was I going as well. Almost went Reagan Burford at third base. Justin Bench in center and TJ in right. And Kemp at DH. But I think that's what I'm going to go with is, is Bench at Third, McCanson, center, Alderman, and right. Hey, I think about this, this Alderman thing's real, by the way. So, like, that's, so the only other possible disagreement, I was going to leave Leatherwood. At, I don't know, shocker, I don't know who Charleston Southern is throwing. Possibility <laughs> of Leatherwood and right, though. 
guessing he probably DHs. But I was with you on the um, on the Burford and uh, Justin Bench thing. Just and part of it's just Mike's history of what he does early in the year. I think there's a strong possibility that Burford becomes the third baseman and Bench moves to the outfield, which would help out a lot of things, right? Because Bench yes. had more underrated things he did last year before he moved in, and injuries kind of played a factor. I think that started with the shot and yay quad thing, which seems like a world ago, but. He played a pretty damn good center field. Yeah. He's not an elite center, center fielder. And that's not a but shot he, to TJ McCann. I, he's not a center fielder, but you know who's really not a center fielder? TJ McCann. And so I think well, there's a chance that he moves to the outfield, that being bench, and you get Burford at third. But opening day, I think it's bench at third. I do too. Um, bench is not an elite center fielder, but he's really freaking good. He – like. He ain't boss field out there, but he is really, really – he gets really good jumps. Um, he's really good out there. The, the the speed's not over like overly impressive, but, like, his jumps make up for it. I, I say he's not elite. He may be. Um, but take some pressure off McCants, moving him to right if you can do that. Um, here's the thing, too. Um, I wonder if at some point, and I'm just speaking this into the world. I have no intel here. If at some point Elko maybe moves back to third base, you can put Alderman at first. Um, I wonder if that's the possibility. They believe in Alderman. If if what I've seen in inner squads is accurate, they they think he's going to really hit for them this year. They have options. I'm with you on that, which is going to make it fascinating because – they were not a good outfield last year. And no, 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 no. By any stretch of the imagination. And it's not really I – mean, McCants is a shortstop, right? And then all of a sudden he's having yes. to in the field. That's tough. I think you would see a remarkable difference in how they are fielded in the outfield. If you can get somehow bench out to center, him in one of the corner outfield spots, and I guess you would just keep Graham in left. But, like, yeah. that goes from a bad outfield to an average outfield from a defensive standpoint, which could eventually matter if they end up making it to that very large part oh. of Nebraska. I think if you're able to move bench out there and TJ to right, I think you go from maybe below average to pretty good. Because, yeah. I mean, you just let TJ go play in right field. He's got a good enough arm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Ole Miss, like we talked about from a pitching perspective, if, if they're at their best with Diamond, Washburn, and Gaddis, I think they're at their best if, if someone else can hold down third base and you go in the outfield with Graham. Um TJ and bench. I think that's their highest ceiling outfield. So that leaves a couple of guys still to get to that we clearly did not name there. Yeah. What role does Hayden Leatherwood play this year? I think he at some point is your everyday DH. I think, I I think it's obvious. He was kind of unfairly me. a matchup guy at times last year. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. That he got yanked against lefties, which wasn't fair. Um, because he actually hit lefties really well. But I don't – and you tell me if you think I'm wrong. Um, I don't think Mike trusts him as an outfielder because he just gets pulled all the time when he plays out there. Um, so I think they would like to DH him if they could, and I think he's going to hit well enough to be the everyday DH. <laughs> There's, uh, I agree. There's no Plumley to pull him for. Have you considered that? That's true. That's true. Plumley is at uh, Central Florida now. I wonder if he's playing down there. He was. He, he the Instagram graphic he posted. He at least got. He got. In a, he got gear. They let him put oh. on the baseball uniform. So okay. you know, good for him. 
But I think you're right. Hayden Leatherwood, it was really kind of an unfair matchup thing, but I think there were some other factors that went into that um, as well. So I agree. So I think he's probably ends up being your everyday DH. There's two guys that were pretty heavy contributors on last year's team that, you know, if that ends up being the case, are not necessarily going to have a ton of at-bats. If, you know, assuming everyone remains healthy, that would be one, Ben Van Cleef. But yeah. Yeah, um, and, and maybe that's the guy that if Leatherwood does struggle against lefties, he's the, the everyday DH if Alderman is, is playing a position. Um, and the next one's going to be Calvin Harris. Um, well, here's the thing with Leatherwood and Harris. I mean, you're, you're, they're going to find out. They're going to get the best hitter, um, and that person's probably going to be your everyday DH, like against righties, whether that's Leatherwood or Harris. You've got about a month and a half to figure out who that person is, right? Um, so, you know. We'll see who it is. I think. I think. I don't think Harris is going to. Let me rephrase. Harris is going to get opportunities at the beginning of the year. Um, if you made Colin Brister guess, um, you, I would think that Leatherwood probably outperforms him just because he's a little bit older. I think Calvin Harris is going to be really, really good. Um, but I think Leatherwood's probably just a little bit older, probably a little bit better hitter right now, and I think he probably wins that job now. Uh, Harris could do a good enough job where he, he forces Leatherwood onto the field or forces himself onto the field and somebody else DHs or one of those two DHs and they get both in the lineup. We'll just have to see. There's a lot to play out there. But the thing that kind of sucks for guys like that is you got seven dudes locked into spots. Um, so, you know, you got two spots open. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room. There really isn't, which is a good problem to have. And the one thing in terms of finding it bats for these guys, just to kind of keep them, you know, you're an injury away from needing one of them potentially. One of the good things about that is Calvin Harris is going to get a ton of midweek at bats at catcher. I don't think Hayden Dunhurst yes. is the midweek. He will catch every midweek game. He'll help game. solve one of the issues there in terms of just Well, him. I say every. He won't catch Southern Miss, I don't think, or State. But, yeah, he will catch the majority of midweek games, I would think. Ben Van Cleef, does he get his first career home run this year? That's yes. Yes, I think my boy Ben hits him a homer this year. Okay, so we got that down. Let's roll through some numbers from last year because I was thinking about, like I was looking at this earlier today like you were and was just kind of amazed by some of it. Jacob Gonzalez, 1,004 OPS, hit 355 with 12 home runs and 55 RBIs. Hey, Brian, how, how old is he? I think he's like at nine. I don't think he can drink. Can he dip? <laughs> I think he can dip. I think he's 19. All right. So, you know, it's like, you know, and I, I get it, but people, you know, be like, well, they didn't make the college world series. Okay. Fair enough. Do you know how absurd it is that they have two cats on the team that I think both can win the golden spikes this year? Like, I think they have two cats on the team that I, that can be the best player in the college, in, in college baseball. I think Jacob Gonzalez or Tim Elko could be the best player in college baseball this year. Tim Elko missed. <laughs> What is that? He missed a month and a half. 18 games. Yeah, so that's about right. He led the team in home runs, RBI. No, excuse me. Kevin Graham got him, ended up getting by one RBI and uh, OPS and slugging. That seems good. So do you have, uh, do you have like Elko's game log in front of you? Yes. So he started, he came back and started against Georgia. Can you tell me how many home runs he hit after Georgia? Sure. He went, let's see. So that Georgia game is, so he gets there. He gets one in the opener against Georgia. He had one, one, two, three, four, six, six. 
And he hit one against a and as a pinch hitter. And two in the game three against Southern. And so, yeah, so that is, uh, that is seven home runs with one leg. <laughs> He's absurd. I will say, just I, this is not a knock on Tim Melko by any means. I don't mean this the wrong way. It will be nice not to have to uncomfortably watch him turn on the back. That just gave me the heebie-jeebies every time he would do the shuffle. Every time he did it. Because, you know, yeah. he has one leg and all. I get why he's <laughs> doing it. But that just made me uncomfortable to watch every time. I don't mean anything other than by it. Then I was like, damn it, like, can they, can they look away every time he goes to a base? He's the uh, – look, he's a really good hitter. But here's the thing that people don't understand – or people probably don't forget about Elko. He's a really, really good athlete. Like, he played corner outfield pretty well for them his first two years and now plays third and first base. He is a really good athlete. So, yeah, watching him having to turn like that did, did make your stomach turn a little bit. And he's also a guy that probably would have played earlier in his career if not for Tyler Keenan having a freshman. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah, like they both kind of platooned there, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, we – like Elko didn't really do anything. It was just got to a point it was like, well, we have to play Keenan. Like this yeah. – Keenan's hitting 380. Yeah, like yeah, so. There's there's not much left. I'm trying to think if there's any uh, other number that stuck out. Ole Miss stole 44 bags last year. That's not exactly. No, no, uh, you're, you're missing a base very. Box, but I believe that's bigger. That's more than the last two years. Do you think this team runs at all? Uh, no. no I mean, I don't. McCants would bench or run. Um, I don't really think there's anybody else in the lineup that can't run. I don't think um, anyone else had double-digit attempts. No, that is definitely not more than the last two years. I just said that completely ass-backwards. Um, yeah, that's just not really so, a part of – and they don't really need to, right, with this lineup. So, um, there is another number that you're missing that is, that is very important to Ole Miss' success. Have you got their stat page pulls up, pulled up? I do. All right. So, I don't know what sacrifice bunt stands for on there, but go see how many of those they had. 34 sacrifices, but I think that also counts. Most of those are flies. Yes, they do not bunt. Um, no, not a bit. Which is, you know, talk about, you know, Mike, people, look, Mike Bianco's approval rating, probably not great right now amongst the temperature of the fan base, but from the gripes on early part of his career, he has evolved in both of those, and one of those is the bunting. They completely cut that shit out. I think they let that analytics guy start showing Mike some numbers versus answer the phones at the front desk. <laughs> So that's like you were one for the people viewing at home. It sounds like that might have uh, that might have been something that actually happened. Well, like I'm sure for the first like six months of that, Mike was like, "What is an analytic, and why does this guy keep talking about that? Is that some social media? <laughs> who, who is this guy? Yeah, like why is this guy throwing these numbers in my face?" But to his credit, they've evolved. And one of the things we talked about a little bit last year, and I think it shows <laughs> they bunted three times last year. By the way, so three. I bunted three times. Three times. I remember one of them. One of them at least was warranted. It was a situation to get a guy to third when you needed one run to extend the game with no outs, was it not? I don't know, but I remember the one at A&M. It was a crime. Oh, that's right. There was one, I think, either in that, <laughs> that LSU or something. I can't remember. where one of, I know I remember one of those being justifiable. Okay, fair enough. Because we had people start tweeting at us when the, each of the three. Oh, it was uh, – no, 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 no. It was – so I know what you're talking about. It was actually he didn't bunt, and people got pissed off against LSU. Oh, that's exactly what it was. He, he didn't bunt and let uh, Plumley hit, I think, and Plumley struck out. Everybody's like, I don't understand why you don't bunt. It's like, well, one, bunting is kind of hard, and two, they don't bunt, so why would you do it? 
and we both would have bunted in that scenario, which is just like the peak Mike Bianco experience. I, but I was, we were both in the camp of like, you can't crush the guy. You can't have it both no. ways. I probably would have bunted there. That's You'll get to yell for six years that he shouldn't bunt and then get pissed off when he doesn't. That is uh, – that is – I've forgotten about that. I'm trying to think if we've missed anything as far as these numbers go. You did have a couple of midseason kind of slumpish – I say ish because I can't remember off the top of my head – from both Dunyurst and Chatagnier. That's something yeah. that I think with the depth of this lineup that you're going to be able to withstand slightly better than you did last year, particularly when Elko went out, don't you think? Like if you have one of those two guys or kind of pick anyone – that, you know, has a tough 15, 16-game stretch, it'll be easier to hide that. It may be as easy as any team he's ever had to have yeah. to hide something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gonzo went through a pretty tough stretch at one point last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, well, the, the deeper your lineup, the more you get tied. You just hope they don't slump at the same time. Um, There's also a chance you know, Gonzalez is even better, which is kind of I would I would venture to say he probably will be. And, you know, I think T.J. McCants is going to be a lot better. And T.J. was really good last year. So, I don't know, man. It's going to be a fun offense to watch. You just got to find enough pitching. Um, and I know this is kind of kind of wild to say after last year, and I get the Mike Bianco criticism and all that, but Mike usually figures it out on the mound. They usually figure it out on the mound. It's the If they've ever had, you know, a team where it's like, I don't know if this team's going to be any good, it's usually because they can't hit. On the mound, he usually puts a staff together and, you know, have – have your have your gripes about him or whatever, and that's fine. I, I I think I probably trust him to put a staff together this year. Well, that was what was the interesting part about last year. He made those two egregious decisions, but given the injuries they had on the pitching staff, it was like if you're making an argument of like his better coaching jobs in specific aspects, that was one of them because by the end of the year, it wasn't a problem. It just took him like three weeks to figure out what the hell was happening. And then he had two healthy guys not really perform either and he had to finally figure out he had to quit on them but I guess my point being is that was not a very deep team and to get one went away from Omaha given what you had on the back end is actually oh. something impressive Brian if Gunner stays healthy they go to the college world series I think like, I agree with that as well because they're not the and the key to that is is like well no one was beating Arizona I don't think they're playing out in Arizona they're not and they probably could have beaten Arizona with Gunner um but yes the, the, they're they're probably playing that thing in Oxford if Gunner stays healthy so um, you know, I mean, they probably win the game against A&M. Uh, they – Gunner probably extends them in the in the SEC tournament another game. They probably are a national seed. So, yeah, it's – I thought Mike did a really good job last year. Overall, it just kind of sucks that, like, his two glaring mistakes were, you know, directly costing him games. Um, but, anyways, you know, I, I think this is – and it's every year. I think, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think this is a team that hosts a regional. Um, I think they win the regional. I think they go to the super regional. I would, for the love of God, like that super regional to be in Oxford. Maybe that's selfish, but I would like for them to be a national seed and win the regional. When you talk about getting to the wins threshold you need to get, particularly conference wins, yeah. they've got a pretty damn good East Rob. Yeah. It's yeah. Tennessee. Tennessee's a bear, but whatever. Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina is not great. Um, Kentucky will be a challenge up there, but Missouri should be a 3-0 and weekend at Oxford. Um, you know, just go go 8-4. and four. Do what you're supposed to do. Figure out, you know, you can lose one series if you sweep Missouri and you go 8-4 and four and you need to go, what, 12-6 and six against the West to get to 20 wins. Um, so, which is, which is doable. Um, 
you know, so I, I think this team's got a chance to be really good. Um, it's every year, man. It's like we're repeating ourselves. And, and I think if, you know, I think if they make the College World Series this year and, and Mike's the coach next year, um, I think we'll say the same thing. I think this team's going to be really good. I think they're going to host, and we'll see what happens in the postseason. Because um, it's just – it's to that point, right? Like, man, they don't play on the road in the postseason in, in the regional round. They haven't since 2015, and they're not going to this year. Right. Um, unless it just – unless it just all goes to hell. So, uh, you just you just hope this is the year that it works out and they, they get to go to Omaha. And without doing the tired as argue, I mean, tiredest segment of all time with schedule yeah. wins, they're going to need to have a good first month and a half of conference play. Look, starting at Auburn, I don't know what to make Auburn, but that's a road trip. They don't off. win at Auburn is the only thing that, that scares me there. Exactly. But then you get Tennessee at Kentucky, Alabama at home, at South Carolina. And the last month of your season is state at Arkansas. You get Missouri sandwiched in, then at LSU and A&M to close it. Like, the, the back half is certainly more daunting than the front, at least on – Yeah, that is a nightmarish – what is their last series? Their last series is at home against A&M, but they will be in Baton Rouge the week before. Yeah, that's a little bit easier finish with A&M because I don't think they're going to be great this year. But, yeah, good for – that back end's nightmarish. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, – if you made me guess, I think it's a 40, 40 win team. Um, and they go 18 and 12, 19, 11 in conference. I think that's where I've got them. And you know, hope you do enough in Hoover to get a national seat. Last exercise before you get out of here, play this game. I played this game on Chase's pod last year. I can't remember if we did it. Give me two guys' number. Uh, you can have two guys' numbers at the end of the year oh. right now to determine at where this team ended up. That's easy. Derek Diamond and Jack Washburn. Damn, I think I had the exact two. For the sake of being different, I will go Derek Diamond. How about a Max Trophy? We didn't mention him. Go. old dude that could really add another dimension to that bullpen. If he has Maxwell. 30 appearances – yeah, excuse me, Maxwell. I can't believe I broke my own rule. Maxwell Trophy. If that's a guy that's a 25 appearance and is just lights out, like that's a lot of depth in that pen. Yeah, that's the guy to keep an eye on this because um, I felt this – you made this point last year. It was really good. The farther Tyler Myers got away from Tommy John, the better he was. Let's see if that's the case with Max Schofi this year because before Max got hurt, he was really, really good. He was. We're eight days away. I appreciate the time as always, dude. I know you got to run. And then, uh, you know, before long, I'll be texting you on Sundays telling you we can go shorter this Sunday before we end up going an hour 45. <laughs> Sounds good, my man. I'll see you next week. All right. Take it easy. All right, buddy. All right. That's our show. Appreciate you guys tuning in. If you made it to the end, thanks for making it a part us a part of your day looking forward to baseball season getting going despite the uh the apathy and uh collective eye roll around uh you know mike bianco and everything else that goes with that They'll, that'll be uh plenty that will be discussed plenty throughout the year in context with this regular season and what it means transitioning into postseason but looking forward to diving into another college baseball season with colin frister we'll be back with mailbag friday tomorrow the people's holiday returns Send in your mailbag questions, please, whichever way you prefer to contact me, and we will get those answered. Again, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on Friday.